What a sweet thing. I had several names pop into my mind this morning in the early service and um, several, several just now listening to my brothers and sisters in Christ. And um, what an incredible joy it is to know that we stand on the shoulders of those who've gone before. And um, today we continue to rejoice in that as we look at God's Word together. Either follow along with me in your bulletin or you can turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis 22, very familiar passage as we continue in our ongoing series on the book of Genesis entitled New Beginnings. Genesis chapter 22, beginning in verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains to which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they rose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Now after these things it was told Abraham, Behold, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor, Uz, his firstborn, Buzz, his brother, Camuel, the father of Aram, Chesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jilpla, and Bethiel. 
Bethiel fathered Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Rumah, bore Teba, Gaham, Tahash, and Mekah. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we simply rejoice in this, your word. What you teach us from it, what you intend from it, we want all of it to bear fruit right now in our lives. And we know that apart from you, allowing the scales to just fall from our eyes, in the work of grace in our hearts, we're unable to experience the transformation that you desire and intend for us. And so we would ask that you would right now bridge heaven and earth through the power of your Holy Spirit, opening up our hearts to the living word that has just been read. And help us now to respond to it in faithfulness and obedience. And in so doing, be used as witness bearers for you in this world. Come, Lord, and meet us in that way. And teach us, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we celebrate this Sunday, All Saints Sunday, I want to also underscore the fact that we are remembering on this Sunday the persecuted church. Churches all around our area, in fact, I talked to a number of pastors even this week who are taking time out even in their own services today to talk about the persecuted church, the church under attack globally. And I simply want to encourage you as a congregation to pick up a copy of this magazine called Voice of the Martyrs. Some of you will know this ministry and will be familiar with it, others of you not. But there are probably 50 to 100 copies of this magazine awaiting you in the back and awaiting those of you who depart from uh, the, the, my left to your right out these doors. Pick up a copy on your way out because what you'll learn in that magazine is how all over the world right now the gospel is under attack. And that persecution is embedded in many different countries. And many believers today don't enjoy the privilege like you and I to gather in a public space like this to name the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and to do so with freedom and security. That's an incredible blessing and something none of us should be able to take for granted. Today we should give honor to the Lord for that very reality. But one of the things that this ministry has done is to give a voice to those who may not have a voice or stories to those in whom you may not hear the stories of if it were not for the research of the work of what Voice of the Martyrs do. And so I do pray that you will make your, your, um, your energy and your time available to read this 50th anniversary edition that has just come out of this great ministry. But I read this week an article within this particular magazine that actually cataloged the life of a man by the name of Peter Jessick. He's actually one of the Voice of the Martyrs writers and works for their organization. And he was serving in Sudan just a handful of years ago and was actually captured and was placed in prison. Had 14 years of imprisonment based upon his ministry there. Or excuse me, 14 months of imprisonment there in Sudan as he was seeking to serve the Lord. And he gives a testimony in there that was powerful that I think speaks to where it is the Lord's taking us in Genesis 20. He he said this, he says, I'm so thankful for those who prayed for me and my family during my time in prison. Returning to home after being sentenced to life has given me an interesting perspective as the Lord has freed me. Although I gave my life to Christ when I was 15 years old, there's some 15-year-olds in this room probably right now, 
I think now it has more meaning to me. I want to say to the Lord, Lord, the rest of my life is yours. You have brought me out of prison. You saved me from a life sentence. The rest of my life I put into your hands. Here I am. A phrase that we heard a number of times in Genesis 22. Here I am. I want to serve you for the rest of my life. I will seek the will of the Lord and do whatever he wants me to do until I meet him one day. My prayer for the service this morning was that final line in his testimony. I will seek the will of the Lord and do whatever he wants me to do until I meet him one day. Don't you want to say that with integrity before the Lord? Not mouthing a Sunday school answer. I know you know the right answer. Many of you have been raised in the church. But with integrity say, the will of my heart is to seek whatever it is that the Lord wants me to do until I meet him one day. I believe that's the spirit of what it is we see being exhibited and displayed on the pages of Scripture and maybe even especially here in Genesis chapter 22. And in some ways, the question being raised to us today is, are you afraid that God would call you to too much? Are you afraid that He would call you to too much? And what would be too much for you, what would be too much for you? Moving from a place that you love, leaving your family behind, giving up your wealth, your fortune. If the Lord were to come and to call upon you to give away the thing that today feels too much, I can assure you that that's what the Lord wants you to put on the altar today as we come into His presence. Now, how can I assure you of that? Because that's the exact thing that He called Abraham to do in this passage. It's the exact thing that He called Abraham to do in this passage. Not just to sacrifice the fringe benefits of certain aspects of his life. He asked him to give the very center of his heart's affections. What we might describe as his life was on the altar. When he put Isaac on the altar. And so the question I think before us today. What's too much? What's too much? I want to look at this mission because there's a mirror in this passage in Genesis 22 to what we saw earlier in this study in Genesis in the life of Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12. In fact, Genesis 12 and Genesis 22 in some ways begin the exact same way. And for, for Abraham, this must have been incredibly wearying. You might remember in Genesis chapter 12, God came to Abraham as he was, a, he was an unbeliever in the Ur of the Chaldees. And he said to him, go to a place that I will show you. Get out of here. Leave. I've got a land for you. I've got a promise on your head. I'm going to make of you a great nation. And all the families of the earth are going to be blessed through you. Those were the promises of Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3. And look, Genesis 21, we finally have Isaac. After decades of waiting for Isaac, we finally have Isaac. Here he is in the land of Canaan with the promised child, the lineage through which the people of Israel are going to come and the promises of God is unfolding. Now it's time for Abraham to retire and rest 
sit on the front porch in the rocking chair and drink some sweet tea. That's what it is that Abraham's supposed to do. He's in Social Security years at this point in the midst of his work. And what do we see God do in Genesis chapter 22 but to come to him with a fresh mission? In fact, it's the same language. Take your son and go to a land called Moriah to a mountain that I'll show you when you get there. It should have been resonating in the back of Abraham's mind. I think I've heard those words before. Oh, no. Oh, no. This is not how retirement was supposed to work out. What we see God pressing in in the life of Abraham is that he has called him to be a man who will go whenever God calls, wherever God calls, to whatever God calls him. That's the call in this passage. To go wherever he calls him, whenever he calls him, to whatever it is that he calls him to. That's what he's, he's making Abraham into that man. Why is he making him into that man? Because that's who he's called us to be, brothers and sisters in Christ. Why do I say that? Because that's who our Savior was. When we turn our attention to the New Testament, we read these words from Jesus in John chapter 8. I came from God and I am here. I came not on my own accord, but he sent me. Who's Jesus speaking of there? Well, he's speaking of his Father. And he's describing himself how? As a missionary. That Jesus has been sent he goes at the bidding of his, of his father. He is listening to the words of his father. He wants to know where the father wants to take him and what he wants to accomplish with him. And he's, as it were, sitting on the edge of his seat, wanting to be in the mission for what it is that his father has called him to be. And in that way, he resembles, very similarly, his own father Abraham, humanly speaking. And in that sense, we are patterned in the same way. If you've placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're a follower of Him this morning. You're on a mission. You're on a mission. Christ's people are a sent people. You are not here on your own accord. You have been purchased with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are no longer your own. And you are called in Matthew chapter 28 to go, therefore, into all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that I have commanded them. For lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, there is no missionless Christian. There is no such thing as this little category over here to the side of the people who are really on mission for Christ and then these other Christians. We are all on mission. We are all living by the very word of God and his call upon our lives. It's going to be differently expressed. It's going to be differently carried out. There are going to be different spheres of influences. There are going to be different times within those calls, different places, different people. But there's no mission less, Christian. We are all charged with carrying the mission of Christ into our generation. And we must be willing, as Abraham was, whenever, wherever, to whatever God calls us to, in a moment's notice, to be ready to jump at his bidding. And maybe the question, too, that rises, if, if that's the case in terms of mission, and it is, is how do we know 
when he calls us and, and where he calls us and to, to what he calls us. This idea of calling can be pretty murky. How, how do we know these calls to this or rather than to, to that or, or to this place rather than to, to, to that place? Well, I want you to see in the context of the passage in terms of mission, God gives him just the revelation he needs, but really no more. Because God's really calling us into faith. What we want is clarity. What God's calling us to is faith. And those are often different. Now, there is a kind of seeing that is faith, but it's almost never as crystal clear as we wished it was. Normally we go, I I sense the Lord calling me to this, but I'm really nervous about it. And if I just knew that all the money was going to work out and my health was going to be fine and all those things. Well, yeah, if you didn't have to exercise faith, this mission would be a lot easier. Be a lot more certain. At least the way we feel with our feet on the ground. In this passage, God calls Abraham to the measure of clarity given for the initial call. But he leaves the unfolding of the call to the process and the unfolding of faith. You see, he tells him, go to the land of Moriah. And I'll show you the mountain. I'll show you when you get there. And we're told, almost in images of faith, he lifts up his eyes and he sees the place that the Lord has called him to. As he walks, the vision for the calling becomes more and more clear. You know what's happening to some of us? It's happened to me in the past. I must admit, I've run in circles before chasing, as it were, God's call. But what often happens to us is we wait back to try to get the full 10-point plan down. And a five to ten year scaled plan that we feel certain about with all the resources in place. And then we go, I feel like I'm ready to take a step. Notice that's not how the Lord worked in this passage. And if you read the Bible, if you're paying attention to the Bible, it's almost never how he works. Is he gives us a very clear command and he calls us to a step of faithfulness. And in the step of faithfulness, he shows more light along the path. How many times have you had your foot in the air towards a calling and then you're not really sure it feels like you're maybe stepping off a cliff. And just as you put your foot down, the light is there. You realize, okay, this is what the Lord's doing. Oh, well, here's what I need. (laughs) Oh, okay, all right. (laughs) That's what living the Christian life often looks like. You see, God is really committed to this faith thing. Because in faith engenders trust. Trust, and the Lord wants you to trust His heart. As the old saying goes, even when you can't trace His hand. He wants you to trust His heart, even when you can't trace His hand. Even when He calls you to something as crazy. And that's what it feels like. As Genesis chapter 22. To go take your son... And to sacrifice him. Listen, I remember when the Lord called me to this work of establishing Cornerstone Presbyterian Church. It was in 2010, our mother church, Parish Presbyterian Church, called me and said, we really think you're, you're the guy for this, this work. We want, we want you to come and do this work. And my initial response was, man, life in Jackson, Mississippi is great. 
Like this, this, these, these people, I've got the, the wool pulled over their eyes. They think I'm okay and they're, they're, they're listening and they're, 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 like, they're like actually paying me a salary. It's amazing. And uh, like I, we have a home, like we just bought a home. Like, like we're, yeah, we're not far from grandparents. We're, you know, all of these really, really human elements. They're very alive. And, but over the time of praying and considering, we, we felt, okay, there's no doubt that the Lord is calling us to this work, and He's calling us to something new and a new and fresh challenge. And it wasn't, I'm telling you, I wasn't on the ground a year here where I was like, okay, I'm just going to spend the rest of my days here. I just want to spend the rest of, my, rest of my days here. I hope they bury me down Columbia Avenue, and I get to be in this church and in this pulpit with all of you. Now, I don't know how you're going to put up with that for that long, but, but that's your problem. I, I just going to figure that out. No, I, I am, you know, I, I'm trusting the Lord. Lord. Lord, I want. But very quickly, I could see the move in my heart to say, okay, I answered your call. I'm done now. I'm done now. And it took a few more years to realize that that was a form of idolatry. That was a form of idolatry as a form of self-protection, a form of opting for safety. And comfort. I mean, I'm you know raised in southern Mississippi. I lived in one house my whole life. I knew the same people my whole life. I am hardwired for deep roots over a long period of time. And I don't like transitions. It feels like death to me. But I begin to, as I studied the Word of God afresh and begin to look over the Word of God, I said, Lord, every day I have to wake up and I have to afresh, moment by moment, be listening for and ready to answer whatever call you would lay on my heart and on my life. I pray every day it's the same one I'm in. But Lord, if it's not, woe is me if I don't say yes and go. Now listen, that's not just true for me. That's, that's true for every single one of you. I use that simply illustratively to draw you out to question, what is it in your life that you may be holding on to as the non-negotiable that may be the too much when in your heart of hearts you know you're dodging where it is that the Lord really wants you. Because I think the challenge of this passage is leading us there. In fact, I think the point of this passage is God wants us to be at home in His mission. I have to find my home in His call. You've got to find your home in his call and whatever it is that he calls you to. And the scary thing about this is that if we are following God's mission and we're listening to his revelation, what he has called us to in the word, we know instinctively, point three, it's going to require sacrifice. It's going to require sacrifice. You remember in Genesis chapter 12 when Abraham was originally called by God, he was called to leave everything behind. Remember? Leave his home, leave his kindred, leave his family. In the ancient Near Eastern culture of the time, leaving your family behind and your legacy and your place was unthinkable. It was leaving your whole life behind. God had said to Abraham, listen, Abraham, you've got to find your home in my mission. And I want you to leave everything behind that you've ever known. I want to rebuild your sense of who you are in me by my call. That's what I want to do. And so I'm calling you out of the earth of the Chaldees to a place that I'm going to show you. 
But I want you to see what he's doing here in Genesis 22. You might think to yourself, man, that's amazing. I can't believe that he would do that. Surely God must be very pleased with Abraham. Well, in one sense, he certainly is. The grace that he's worked into his life and the changes that he's wrought. But listen, there's more of Abraham he wants to get. Why do I say that? Because he called him in Genesis 12 to walk away from his past. But you see what he's doing in Genesis 22? He's calling him to walk away from his future. A firstborn son was a man's future. That was his life. The firstborn son in the ancient Near Eastern culture was how you extended your legacy, your family's name, your, your wealth, your lineage. You, the whole groaning of the text for the last ten chapters has been we need a son. And someone who's not my son is going to be an heir if I don't have a son. And it's been a crisis. And now God has given to him this sure and certain future. And in this moment, God is saying, listen... I'm not just calling you to walk away from your past. I'm not just calling you to give all to me in the present. I want you to give all of your future to me as well. Every projection, every scheme, every assumption about how things are going to turn out, I want it on the altar. I'm asking you to give me your future. And not just in a human way, in a spiritual way. We've been told from Genesis 12 to Genesis 15 to Genesis 17, Sarah will will bear a son. He's coming, we promise. You will call his name Isaac. He will be a blessing to all the families of the earth. This will be the lineage of faith. This will be how I will extend the gospel, first to a nation of Israel and and then ultimately to the world. Through my son, the Lord Jesus Christ. None of that would be fully clear to Abraham, but by faith he saw much of it. And so you can imagine in verse 2 when he says, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. The devastating moment that must have been for Abraham. God is literally, and and this is how a parent feels it, just in the humanness, apart from the spiritual promise, God is wrenching for me my very life. My very life. All of, all of the hopes are, are there. Now, one of the things, and we have to talk about it, at least for a second, is how does, how does God, well... Well, for lack of a better way, how does he get away with this kind of command? Scholars struggle with this. I was reading Soren Kierkegaard again this week on this because he wrote a book on this very chapter called Fear and Trembling. And he argued in that book that, you know, listen, God here is asking Abraham to commit murder. (laughs) His own son. How do we we wrestle with that based upon the later commands of, of Exodus and and Kierkegaard kind of ends up this way. He says, though it's ethically wrong, what it is that God commands, it's religiously right. And he is a nuance for what he means by that. But, but I think there's, there's a lot here that needs our, our pondering, but we're only going to touch on one thing. I want you to just notice that the focus of, of, of murder 
as that kind of language, or killing, that quality of language is a horizontal language. Man to man, person to person. And that's not the language that God uses here in the text. What's the language God uses in the text? Offering. Sacrifice. What, what kind of language is that? It's religious language. It's spiritual language. God here is invoking not, not an issue of just taking life against another life. He's, he's putting in a principle of sacrifice needed for the covering of one's sin. You see, what's fascinating about this passage is Abraham knows that there needs to be a substitute. When God comes to him and he says, go sacrifice your own son, there's no argument from Abraham. Isn't that remarkable? There's no, there's no recorded argument. He doesn't rejoin. We've seen Abraham argue. You remember Sodom and Gomorrah? Hey, if there were 50 righteous, if there were 45, if there were 30, I mean, he went on and on. He's known to go back and forth with nothing in this case. It's as if he knew that he had no right to be in the presence of God as God's patriarch and lineage without a covering for his sin. And when God said, your own firstborn son's going to be an atonement, a burnt offering, that's the language of the text. Though Abraham grieved and wrecked in heart, understood the logic of what God was calling him to. He understood the nature of what he was called. And remarkably, he follows through with it. As the knife is, is, is hanging above his son, as they're there on those outskirt mountains of, of Moriah, as he's there, it's, it's God, the angel of the Lord, speaks to him and halts the plunging of the knife only at just the right time when he knows that Abraham's willing to go through with the worst possible deed imaginable. At God's bidding and God's call, he halts him, and there in the thicket is a ram. You know, it's one of those moments in the text, isn't it, where Isaac says, listen, we have wood, we have fire, but where's the lamb for the offering? And I think little did Isaac know that, that was the, that's the entire question of the Bible. It's the entire question of the Old Testament. Where, where's going to be the lamb for the offering? All of the Old Testament is groaning. Where, who is going to be the one who's going to cover us with regards to our sin? Where is the lamb for the offering? And remarkably, Abraham gives the right answer and the answer of the whole Bible. God will provide for himself a lamb. God will provide for himself a lamb. And he did. He did in space and time with the ram that was in the thicket. But friends, don't you know better than me? God would not only provide for himself a lamb in this moment in Genesis 22, but God would provide himself as the lamb for his people. That he would be, as it were, the ram that was caught in the thicket. The one who would stand in so that Isaac wouldn't have to die and that Abraham wouldn't have to die, but that God would give one who was greater than Isaac a son of Abraham, he would draw him through the nature of history and the unfolding of the promises of God to a place where John the Baptist would look upon him as he walked by and say, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
Remarkably in this passage, when you actually hear the language of the angel of the Lord, some of you will know this, the angel of the Lord is a, is a phrase that's used in the Old Testament to speak of the one who is the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. The one who had visited Abraham in his tent earlier and promised that Isaac would come. That one with the angelic host, the angel of the Lord, the second person of the Trinity, known later in his incarnated form as Jesus Christ. Do you know what's remarkable? In a sense, Jesus Christ stops the plunge of the knife into Isaac so that he could later be the one in whom the knife was plunged into by the Father. It's remarkable. The irony of what's taking place in this passage is that the lamb stops the slaughter of Isaac in order that that knife might ultimately come upon him. And wasn't that what Jesus did? Do you see, Mount Moriah that's mentioned here is not really mentioned anywhere else in the Old Testament other than in 2 Chronicles 3.1. And it's there where we learn that these mountains of Moriah is another name for those hills that are outside of Jerusalem. In other words, we're on the site of where the holy city, or near to where the holy city, is actually going to be built in generations to come. And when you begin to reflect upon the fact that the hills surrounding Jerusalem, and Jerusalem itself sits on a high plateau, it was a bit of a city on a hill. That language that Jesus would use in the Sermon on the Mount is reflective of Jerusalem. That those mountains around Jerusalem, those hills that that you went up to as you made your pilgrimage to Jerusalem are ultimately those hills very close to where these mountains of Moriah are. And it would be Jesus who would carry the wood up the mountains outside of Jerusalem to a place called Calvary. Where the knife would not be stopped, but would plunge deep into his heart for the forgiveness of sins of all of his people. You see, this passage is teaching us about God's love and commitment to us. This passage is showing us that in God's kindness, he stayed the knife in Isaac's case. For the day where he wouldn't with his own beloved son. The son Abraham, your only son, whom you loved. Because you wouldn't keep him from me. I know that you truly fear me. You see, friends, if we know that God has loved us enough. To give his only begotten son, the one in whom he loved. For the forgiveness of sins of his people. Then let's ask the question again of our hearts. What would be too much for him to ask of us? What's too much? If in the light of what he has given. And in the debt of great love and gratefulness that we owe. What could he call us to? that would come close to what it is He's given us in Christ. You see, all of a sudden, that little quote at the beginning of our time together makes a lot more sense. I will seek the will of the Lord and do whatever He wants me to do until I meet Him one day. You see, that becomes the prayer of your heart when you realize you've been loved in the way that we've been loved. 
all of a sudden mission becomes less about arm twisting and manipulation and guilt trips. But, but mission becomes an overflow of a heart that has been so captured by the love of God for us in the gospel that we don't say, do we have to? We say, we get to. We get to. And so, friends, the question today is, what do you get to do for Christ? What is he pressing in upon your heart that you know you've been pushing away? And what is the too much that you're holding on to that he's trying to pry your hands off of in order to give you the treasure that is really his? What is it? Lay it on the altar. Lay it on the altar. For it's not worthy to be compared to the gift of grace that has been given to you in Christ. And whatever He takes away from you here, how much more will He give to you in heaven and eternity to come as you lay before the feet of Christ and we join with our brothers and sisters who have gone before us into glory singing, holy, 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 worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Father in heaven, we would ask that you would set that vision before us in a way that would change us. And it would change us into a people that say yes instead of no. And change us into a people who say get to rather than have to. And change us into a people that are ready to serve rather than begrudging to do so. Lord, we need your help in this. We've got such a long way to go. Forgive us for all the ways that we have fallen short and the ways that we will fall short. But Lord, in that forgiveness, don't let us become lazy. But provoke us by that grace out of love to live our every waking hour, moment by moment, listening and answering the call of the gospel for the glory of Christ, for the good of your church, And for the fame of his name. Until the kingdom of God covers the world. As the waters cover the sea. We pray this in his holy and precious name. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing.